I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author Laureen Carey. Her book is Late Lady Sitting, My Year with Nana and the Ed at the end of her century. From cherished memories of weekends she spent as a child with her indulgent Nana to the reality of the year she was spent lady-sitting her now frail grandmother. Lorene Carey journeys through stories of their time together and five generations of their African-American family, brilliantly weaving a narrative of her complicated yet transformative relationship with Nana a fierce, stubborn, and independent woman who managed a business until she was 100. Carrie looks at Nana's impulse to control people and fate from the early death of her mother and oppression in the Jim Crow South to living on her own in her New Jersey home. Uh, Carrie is a senior lecturer at the University of Pennsylvania, author of two memoirs and three novels, has written for Time and Newsweek, and has been featured in O, the Oprah magazine. Uh and I guess is also in the process or has written an opera. So we have lots to talk about. Lorene, thanks for being on the show today. <laughs> oh, thank you for inviting me. It's great to be with you. I want to go to the title, Lady Sitting. Uh, lady mm-hmm. Sitting. There are two ladies in this book, Nana and you. So <laughs> what are we talking with the title? Does that refer to both? Of, well, I'm assuming it refers to both of you. And how did you... I guess, what went through your mind when you came up with the title? Well, the truth is, the title refers to Nana only. It does not refer to me at all. Um, In my relationship with Nana, uh, she was the lady, just like she was always the grandmother. You know, there there was not a sharing of that title. And we used to, Nana was very upset at, you know, she, like everybody else, who is, you know, aging and and trying to figure it out and do their best. Nana lost when each loss of independence was a was a cut to her. And when she had to come and live with us, when the social worker at the hospital said, "No, we will not release you back into your two-story neo-colonial house in New Jersey where you go up the steps on your bottom at night. I don't think so, lady. Um, when when that happened and she had to, you know, we were plan B, she used to sort of bang her wheel, her arms on the wheelchair and say, yes, I guess somebody's going to have to babysit me. Like, you know, when we had to go out, my daughter would come and say, and we said, no, 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 it's not. It's not babysitting. We, somebody's going to come and lady sit. That it's lady sitting. So the title actually came out of one of the one of the ways we used to talk to her about this long hospice, off hospice, back on hospice uh, project. <laughs> and there's. <laughs> Someone is living at home. Yeah. It's the dog barking. I can hear him. Yes. I'm so sorry. Are we live? (laughs) We are live. (laughs) We are live. We are live and not edited. I'm just warning you. Yeah. So that's okay. Um, Everybody's, I think, more or less used to this since the 
pandemic yeah. and yeah, doing interviews in their own house. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> she wants to be a part. That's okay. She wants to be a part no, of it. No, somebody came and rang on the uh, at the door. Yeah. Fortunately, uh, my daughter is here with me now, so she's going to run down, open the door. Oh, good. All right, the, good. The, the dog drama. Yeah. Well, this is all part of it, right? Because we're getting yes. back to yes. Nana, who you took, who you, I guess you thought in the beginning you were going to take care of her in your house for what six months, but it ended up being a year and a half, which is a long time of caregiving. Yeah. But I do want to get back to the idea of, I mean, your your grandmother was a hundred years old, a lady, someone had taken care of herself, a businesswoman, all of these kinds of things, and then suddenly. You know, going full circle into that being taken care of almost like a child. And and I think there's some feelings of humiliation when that happens. Um, Mm -hmm. um, And I, from your point of view, seeing your grandmother, seeing Nana get, you know, having to be put in that position, how did that make you feel? Oh, oh, it's just filled me. It filled me up. What I what I kept thinking about was that this was this crazy mashup, like the Caribbean Sea. It was a total mashup of of love and fear and death. And um, I felt, on the one hand, a, so much compassion for Nana, who who hated hated this lack of independence. Um, on the other hand, we were both grown-ups, and just as she had adapted in her home, you know, my my sister, who is a United Airlines pilot and just a total cowgirl and will say things straight up, she said to me, girl, Nana's independence is going to kill you, <laughs> right? Like, I... <laughs> I also really, really wanted her to continue to be a grandmother um, and to envision and care about the the work that our family was doing but to to maintain that independence, to give her. So we were in a rectory. My husband was an Episcopal uh, priest. We lived in a rectory next to the church, it was a larger house than our, as we used to call it, our real house, uh, row house in Philly. So we, we actually had the upstairs parlor, which went the entire side of the house. We converted that to her room like a bed set so that she could have, she could have her own visitors. We had a little table set up so if she wanted to have a private meal with her visitors, I would just like cater the meal up there for her. We put in the stair rail so that she could come down and have supper. Every supper, she said, oh, honey, I can't stand not doing so. So every supper, I planned dinner to include one thing that Nana could still prepare, whether it was stringing string beans or uh, peeling potatoes with a dull knife, like it was something had to be that she would come down and down in the half an hour before dinner and and do that work because without work without a purpose without she all of us 
you know, we we need to have meaning. What does the Buddha say? We need meaning for ourselves and meaning for each other. So, but as a caregiver, as a caregiver, you also yeah. Uh, uh, the other side of that, and I think this is probably something that if we all admitted to it, most caregivers feel like this is not what I want. This, the, my relationship with my, in this case, your mm. grandmother is changing, and mm-hmm. I, I don't want this anymore. I want her to die. I want her to be like she was before. I mean, I think that that and and you you know you're talking about sharing intimacies with her that you don't necessarily want to do of, of you know changing a diaper or dressing your grandmother or seeing her naked all those kinds of things which get wor- you know which begin to diminish the relation or can diminish the relationship that you had with her for those first 100 years and you weren't there for 100 years but for the, time <laughs> she was but you were there yeah. a lot yes, yeah that's right you know it, it's funny I began to think of this like um like folding egg whites into a souffle I, I just kept thinking to myself so this gets folded into all those other years it it doesn't change it there is no way that the proportion of time I spend it and the physical stuff I could do, I, you know, for some people are are more, um, I don't know, a word that's not judgment, you know, the words we use like squeamish or to, but are, are all judgmental words. Some some people are more affected by, um, by doing the body work than other people. Uh, we were very fortunate. We were able, I was able to keep working. We were able to hire people. Um, some nurses, oh my goodness, there's a whole radio show about getting two people whom Nana would approve to to help take care of her. That's more than one Um, radio show. That's a... (laughs) (laughs) That's a series. Yeah, it's a a series, exactly. That's right, that's right. But but it's still true that all the stuff, the, the, the washing, the helping, the, the, the wiping, the all of that, I, I accept. I accepted that and could do that with her, and she and I figured out a way. It's like finding a new gear to go into, so we could go into that gear, and still have respect and understanding. What what I couldn't. What's harder is the emo- mental and emotional. What's harder is deciding. What is is merely unavoidable cognitive and emotional decline, so you accept it, period. And what what is spiritual and relational? What what's the long tail from that kite that was always about? I have to have control. I have to have it the way I want it. Everything must be the way I want. Or else like what's part of and how much of that gets gets frozen and ossified into the temperament as the as as the loved one gets more fearful that's the part that was harder for me can you give us examples of of what happened with you and and your nana i mean that that, you know reflects that yeah yeah i will I'll give an example that's not me directly, 
uh, because it let me be more uh, clear with myself about my own anger. Uh, when, when I had to leave, and there was not one of the two nurses, my uh, daughter, younger daughter still lived with us. The older daughter lived in Philadelphia. By the way, the older daughter did move back into Nana's house, moved into Nana's house to take care of that house. Um, she was in her 20s. It meant she was living in a suburban area. Nana lived in a white suburban area and one that was not really interested in having black neighbors. It worked because Nana looked white. My daughter doesn't. Neither do her friends. So so my daughter was a, li- a little bit vulnerable. Just, just a, you know, we were just a little worried about her vulnerability there. So, but she did that. So... It was a full frontal family obligation. She did that. The younger daughter, I went out this one time, so I was already a little raw on the daughter's front. The younger daughter, um, I said to her, if she gets hungry, you know, and she said, I know, Mommy. She's amazingly careful, this younger daughter. Nana got hungry. She gave Nana exactly the kind of snack I would give her, just the right little sandwich, just the right crust cut off, just the right plate, etc. Coffee had to be the right temperature, the right color. She did it all. She brought it up to Nana, and Nana said, this wasn't what I wanted. Just just get me some crackers or something. Isn't there any tea? You know, she she did that. I've seen her do that to nurses. Uh, Zoe came to me. There were tears in her eyes when she heard Nana say to me, I am starving. I just, I need a meal or something. Um, Zoe said, Mommy, I did everything. I, and when she didn't like it, I asked. I was so furious. And I, I did two things. One I regret. One is I said to Zoe, listen, I'm on duty every minute of the day, even when I'm at work, even when she calls me back. When I go and I say I want you to make her happy, you know what? I need you to figure out, woman up and make her happy. I regret that so much that I transferred that people-pleasing mandate to my child. Like My job as a mother is to stop it. Have you but spoken to Zoe about that since? Yes, yes, I have. What I do not regret is going to my grandmother and saying, Zoe did her best. She brought you a meal. She did everything for you. And you failed to acknowledge it. You were ungrateful. You were mean to her. And right now, I really don't care if you're hungry. It was the first time I'd ever been sharp with my grandmother, ever. Zoe does not remember me saying to her, make her happy. What Zoe remembers is standing outside the room and feeling that I had her back by telling Nana, you should be good to her. I always wonder, because as you're describing that, that's fairly typical, especially of, I think, um, people are in their 90s plus when you're losing control or feeling like you're losing control, mm. and actually you are, that's one way of sort of asserting your control. It may be the, the only way you feel you can assert your control. You, 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 feeling, you know, just 
like what happened in that kind of a situation. Person who's taking care of you, loved one, family member, nurse, uh, think they're doing the right thing. The only kind of power you may have is to say, you know, I don't like this. This isn't really what I wanted. But it gives <laughs> I, I, I see that a lot, <laughs> um, not just with your grandmother. But, um, yeah, I think that is, is something that's, that's often that kind of behavior is, is I say, typical um, when, you know, when one is in that situation, depend, having to depend on your family or whomever for everything. Yeah, and you did mention you talked about dying, and one of the one of the strongest sections in the book has to do with the night um, when um, the the organization. I'm, I'm a writer. I write books. I've written books all my life. I didn't write a lot while we were taking care of Nana. Nor did I write a lot the three or four years earlier, when when we absolutely I had to accelerate. Um, my schedule of going to see her, checking on her, doing her house, helping run her business. It went from two nights, four nights, six nights a week. I mean, it was really accelerated in those three or four years. You know, I teach, I write, I get up at 4.30, I write in the mornings, I write at night. So all of the writing time got soaked up by this, you know, sort of the caretaking before she moved in, uh, which I think is something we don't kind of calculate in our national statistics on caretaking as all the people who are doing that that work as well. But Nana, um, Nana's, Nana's needs during that time changed, sort of changed all of our lives in ways um, in ways that I couldn't quite put in the book, but had to do with uh, both business and love and and getting sort of aiming us toward what we were about to do. My husband used to say Nana does not have a plan B. She has a plan L, um, meaning Lorene. By the way, Lorene was her name. I was named after her. Um, her and my and my grandmother. You know, Lorraine, there are so many themes in your book. We've been talking, obviously, about very specifically Nana and the and the caretaking or the caregiving that you and your girls and the family did during that year and a half. But the other themes that you explore too. I mean, I love in in the book. I mean, your identity as a black woman. What did that mean? Uh, the history. That you sort of, that you uncovered in terms of your family, um, on both sides of the family, and uh, very different in terms of black families uh, in Philadelphia, in New York. Um, all of the I found that fascinating. I have to say, and um, I think it's a to me anyway. It was a, an important part of the book. Uh, the fact your your husband is white. This is your second husband, right, Bob? Uh, Yes, and, yes, and he yes. and he's white, is he? Yes, yes, yeah. So uh, I, I he, just sorry, all sorry. Of, yeah, he, he was, um, the family yeah. dynamics that came into play as you're describing your, you know, your last year with with your nana. Um, can we talk about that a little bit? Uh, 
you don't have a lot of time left. But in terms of your identification as a black woman um, in in well in Philadelphia, right? Living yeah, in Philadelphia, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yes, and in fact, every every death every death of someone close to you brings up memories of other deaths. It you know it, the bell tolls for 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 thee certainly, but also you think about other people. Um, how Nana Hamilton died. How Pap Pap died. My in laws died. Like this is what we do, right? We remember other funerals. We remember other caretaking and and we contrast them in our minds every part of that every part of life and death for me as an african-american woman in philadelphia in america is influenced by race just like every part of my life is influenced by gender by class all like all of these things so whether my daughter my grandmother's my grandmother's father came to Philadelphia because he was part of what were called the fusion republicans right they were the people right after the civil war who said whoa we have really got a chance to remake this he was a secretary to a an african american congressman in north carolina he was invited to the Taft White House for some um, event. He ha- he was on boards with the sons of Frederick Douglass. That's how he grew up. And then Jim Crow came. It shut down every door. And he could not, he could not be the man that he had been groomed to be, was working on. He, he had to stop everything. For that reason, he followed that congressman, George White, who was the last black congressman in Congress for more than 20 years, the last black congressman from North Carolina for 99 years. He came to Philadelphia. He followed George White here. There was a thriving free community, a community that had been free, not just newly enslaved. Uh, or, or newly enslaved, newly free, as was true in the South. So there was a much bigger foundation to build on for business, banking, um, political activism. That's why my Nana came to Philly. That was part of her, and that was part of her conservatism, part of her keeping her head down, because if you put your head up, somebody might cut it off. So it had everything, everything to do with her worry that I was starting a black arts organization because, you know, she, she loved the books I wrote. She was also a little concerned. The books that write about being a black person at St. Paul's School in the 70s, all, the, all of this could get, your, could get your head chopped off. So it was, it was definitely part of our lives. Yeah, and there's so and much more in the book. Write, I hate to mm-hmm. cut you I'm off because I have several que- I have so many more questions to ask you. We have I'm one sorry. minute left, <laughs> but we have one minute left, so I can't ask those questions. I can tell listeners to read your book definitely, um, and and have you on the show again because there is so much more in the book about the the history 
uh, as you're beginning to describe, of um, African Americans um, in Philadelphia specifically. But um, and I know you, if you can tell us in a minute about the work you're doing now. You said you are in the process or have written an opera, and then give us uh, a website to go to to get more information about what you're doing. Thirty seconds, sure. Lorraine. <laughs> Okay, the website, my website is Lorene uh, Carey, L-O-R-E-N-E-C-A-R-Y uh, dot com, and it's got information on the, and a link to the 30-minute uh, short opera called The Gospel According to Nana. That's on my YouTube channel, Lorene Carey 1, with captions. I, and I hope people love it. I'm working on an opera now on the Jubilee Singers. Uh, a libretto with Damien Jeter, composer, and for the Arden Theater, which put on two years ago uh, My General Tubman, about Harry Tubman, my play, I've written uh, a theatrical version of Lady Sitting that has death as a character with whom Nana is in constant conversation. Lady Sitting. We've been talking to Lorraine Carey. Lady Sitting My Year with Nana at the End of Her Century. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 